Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris, Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan, and Special Guest Courtney Wilson. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan, but before we do, Courtney... It's good to have you. Hey, you it's tell good to our be listeners here. who you are and what you do here. Sure, absolutely. Um, I'm the Kids World Pastor at our St. Charles South Elgin campus, which means that I get to encourage kids and parents and volunteers um, in becoming passionate disciples of Jesus. Awesome! And she's great at it. Oh, she is. And we're glad she's here. We're so glad. All right. Well, we've got. I've got another question for all of you, and we normally make the guest answer first. We let. The guest answer first. Let, <laughs> sorry, let let the guest answer. All right, here it is. Depending on the question. Would you rather be in a snowball fight, water balloon fight, or a food fight? All right, this is easy, actually, for me. Really? It's a food fight all the way. Really? Uh, now, I'm assuming, I am making a little assumption that this is a premeditated... Fight oh, no. like 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 it was like it was planned She's like a, like, like we scheduled. We are going to have a food fight. Like there is a food fight happening, tonight. or I mean, I suppose not premeditated though because. The food's on the table. Eric loves it when we give lots of nuances and exceptions. Oh, I know this. I am dying right now. We have another person in the podcast yeah. studio that wants to qualify the question. Yep. Okay, okay so I haven't un- even given my answer yet, so I'm really interested in this, Courtney. But, What's, okay. Why, why un- does that matter? Because, uh, so snowballs hurt. Yes. Mm. Water balloons can hurt. Food, especially if it's premeditated, it's gonna be spaghetti and pudding and whipped cream. I don't know. What if I chuck a and... corn on the cob at you? <laughs> I mean, that's so. I... Have you ever played corn tag in a cornfield? No. no. Oh, with the corn cobs? Yeah, Yo. like in the maze when you chuck them over the top yeah. and try to hit people. Yeah. Yeah, we weren't chucking them over the top though. Like, you just get into a cornfield, right? Because you can run You're down the aisles of a cornfield, and someone's it, and they are whipping ears of corn. To tag you. But that's not food. So it is. Well, that's corn cobs on the ground. That's a, different. Yeah, that's that's right. not a food that's, fight. That's trash. But it's that's, trash fight. That is, uh, <laughs> it hurts enough. It's like playing paintball. It hurts enough that you're paying attention you and, want it's, to avoid and it's it. stressful, it, which makes it more fun. I'm thinking either premeditated food Soft fight foods. or like middle school cafeteria. Mm. Just have at it. Chicken nuggets. Yeah. Chicken nuggets. Yeah, square, pizza. <laughs> square, square pizza. Square pizza. <laughs> that's great. All right, Clayton, how about you? Um, I, you know, I, I think you got to weigh which is the most satisfying to hit someone with compared to the, the cost it takes to be hit by it. Okay. So, like, this I... This is a risk-reward so, evaluation. So I think the most fun to hit someone with would be food, but I don't, I don't think I would enjoy being hit. I, like, food fights I've been in, I felt like, it was like, oh, this is so gross, and it gets in your nose, and like, weird. it's just like awful. You did the mess is no good. I don't, I don't feel like the snowball is worth it because... I'm not I'm not very good at throwing you know like if they're at a distance I'm like I don't know I'm going to have to throw a whole lot to hit them I have to be accurate but like a water balloon is like a grenade so it's very satisfying but you don't have to be that accurate to get someone wet and it's not too bad to get hit by so I feel like it's the the happy medium there So what was your answer? Water balloon. <laughs> water balloon. Okay. Eric. Food fight. Okay. Any any reason why? Because it's the most fun. Okay. Have you ever been in a all-out food fight, like in a cafeteria or in a room where it just unleashed? Never in a room. No. I've only done, like, planned in a field. People put out, you know, cans of cream corn, cream corn and, uh, you know, like... Cans of cream corn! Out of the can, hopefully. (laughs) No, like, you know, just gooey stuff that you could throw at things, you know, in buckets. I've never been in a food fight. 
Never. Mm. Yeah. Our middle school, middle school cafeteria. I <laughs> never have been in an all out food fight. And I am just imagining how amazing it would be to be in one. Well, it's like, wow. it's like from the Can movie we do Hook. It? Yeah. Yes. That, that, that's, that's, that was a it. dream as a kid. What about you, Maybe. Nikki? Um, I said snowball fight. Why is that? Um, well, I don't like the cold. So I wouldn't so, be, here's the reason what? why. I don't like the cold. I don't like the cold. So I wouldn't be in one for very long. That's one. Wait, 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 The premise of the question is you're in the fight. You're in the fight. Well, here's why. Um, to me, I don't like, like, water balloon fights. I was in them as a kid, and I hated them. Like, to get soaking wet, it's just so in- in- completely uncomfortable. Food, to have food all over my clothes, it would drive me nuts. So snowball fight, it was like, it's the least messiest thing. It's the least, like, uncomfortable oh, thing no. for me. I, but Mm-mm. they're hard and they're cold. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I don't want to eat I'm going to get right here in the back of your neck. <laughs> Yeah. Uh-uh. So your angle is you really don't want to be involved in any of them. Yes. So you chose the lesser of all the evils. Exactly. Hmm. I genuinely want to be in an amazing food fight. <laughs> yeah, Eric's like, can we set I'm this up? I'm currently thinking, yeah, like how can we create a church event where we just all get to come? Jim Nicodine's rocking New Year's Eve okay. at next, like a year from now. No, let's rent out like the Now Arena or the Austin oh, Arena. Yeah. The whole everyone at church. So thousands of people show up with food and we just tarp the oh, arena and unleash an epic food fight. You know somebody's going to get in real fight. <laughs> oh, and you gosh. would have to put, like, there would have to be a little bit of parameter on, because it had to be like nothing that can, like, give you salmonella or something. I don't know how you, you do don't that. Want, like, I know eggs, that you're, listen, eggs, I, no. listen, I know that you're a children's pastor, and no you can consider the safety and security of the minors. It's just peanuts. I, however, am no longer a youth pastor, so I do not have to consider the safety and security of any minor anywhere. We can just let adults in and let them let it rip. Oh, uh, gosh. Just, like, spray bottles of, or, of ketchup and stuff. Like, it could be so fun. Let parents bring their kids and sign waivers. There you go. <laughs> And problem forget, solved. Forget all of this safety and security <laughs> nonsense. Just let it rip. Problem solved, Courtney. Oh, if this ever it's happens true. in real life and we get to blame this podcast, oh my gosh, oh. it's going to be epic. The, so the follow-up question to this question would be, if we rented out an arena and invited thousands of people to come, would they come to a snowball fight, a water balloon fight, or a food fight? Mm. This is a listener feedback question. Yes. So email us at podcast at biblesavvy.com. And let us know if we rented out an arena and we we planned an epic fight, would you come to a snowball fight, a water balloon fight, or a food fight? That's a good one. All right, um, Eric, we've got Christmas Eve services coming up. You want to tell people what's going on? Yes, yes, we do. We have Christmas Eve services coming up. You know what day they're on? Christmas Eve. Yeah, they're on Christmas Eve, and they're really good, and everyone should come. And by the way, Christmas Eve is the easiest invite of the year. And if you go to the website and you check out all the campuses and all of our Christmas Eve services, you will also learn that they are on Christmas Eve. They're also on Christmas Eve Eve. And there is a gajillion time options, and there's stuff going on for the kids and the Christmas Eve services. Once again, easiest invite of the year. So grab some invitations, go to the website, check it out. Invite your friends, invite your neighbors, invite your coworkers, invite your family members. We'll see you at Christmas Eve services at Christ Community Church. Sounds good. All right, Clayton, what passage are we looking at today? All right, we are in the Gospel of John. We're going to be in John chapter 11. And as we have been going through John, we are getting to what I might call the beginning of the end. So in terms of time, it's been about three years of Jesus' ministry. And even though it's only about two-thirds of the way through the, the Gospel, maybe even just a little over half— 
Um, most of what's left all happens in the last couple of weeks of Jesus's life. And this is the event that is sort of the first domino that kicks off all the other things. So here's what's going on. Uh, Jesus has made a few trips into Jerusalem over the years, and he has made some enemies in Jerusalem. But he has some friends who live very close to the city, and he gets news that one of his dear friends, a guy named Lazarus, has gotten very sick, and now he has died. And Jesus has a choice. He either stays away from Jerusalem because people are out to get him there, or he goes and visits Lazarus and his sister Mary and Martha, and Jesus says, I'm going to go. And on the way, he tells his disciples, we're going to go because Lazarus, the way he says it is he has fallen asleep, okay? What he really means is he's died, and I'm going to go wake him up. And the disciples know, okay, if we go into Jerusalem, this could be real trouble. And so they actually say, all right, let's go there, and we'll die with them if we have to. And so that's the, that's the thing that's hanging over their head as they go and uh, essentially go to Lazarus, who's died, and his sister Mary and Martha. So we'll pick it up in verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, "'Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died.' When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go.
All right. Let's talk about observations. What do you see in this passage? Uh, The first thing that I noticed is the assumption by both sisters that if Jesus had physically been with them, that their brother would not have died. Yeah, they've probably seen him rescue people who are sick before. And so they assume if he had gotten there, he, they know he has, has the capacity for that. What's interesting is it's the, it's the assumption, but there's, um, it almost feels like there's a limit, you know, what, what he's about to do to raise him isn't a category for them. They're thinking he can do a whole lot of things, but I guess it's too late for him to do the things he's good at, you know? And so there's something more that he could do that they, they hadn't considered. Well, the thing that I saw too was like when Martha makes that first statement, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. That's like an extreme amount of faith right there, right? To, like, I'm, I guess I'm putting myself, I'm like reading into it to say like, well, if, if, if you were to say that he would raise from the dead, like he'd give you what you ask. But then fast forward and he goes, remove the stone. And she goes, but Lord, like he's been in there for a while now. There's already a bad odor. It's almost like. Great faith at the beginning, and then, like, her logic kicks in, like, that's going to be terrible. We can't do that. And he's like, didn't I tell you? Like, like mm. you, you know what I mean? Like, you got you to gotta have the faith that you first just said. Like, you can, God will give you whatever you ask. Yeah, I think we sometimes assume because we are familiar with Jesus' stories that it would have made sense to all of them that, like, you're like, well, sure, he can do that sort of thing. But they're, they're like, just stretching into, like, okay, I think I trust him with these crazy things. But also, really, really, yeah. really, you know? Mm-hmm. They're living it in real time. Ooh. That sound means it's time for your Christmas comma tip of the week. Don't stop reading your Bible because it's Christmas break. This has been your comma tip of the week. That's beautiful. <laughs> it, it's going to catch on. It's going to catch on. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> what is going to catch the, on? This little jingle. That jingle. I think like, we were going to sing it. like, ain't nothing going on in this podcast that's going to catch on anyway. <laughs> All right, Courtney was about to share an observation. I mean, that my that train left the station. Um, wow, that that went all with all of that. Uh, so I'll do a different observation Sounds then. Good. Uh, as a children's pastor, of course, every kid wants to memorize the shortest verse in the Bible, right? Jesus wept, and so when you read this passage, you're always it's going to be a thing. Um, I think what I really noticed my observation was the he was deeply moved is talked about like that phrase is repeated and it's generally repeated after there's been a doubt so lord if you would have been here my brother would not have died he sees people weeping and he's deeply moved and troubled it's that to me that feels like he's moved by their doubt or their their weeping like i know what's going to happen and and I'm moved by that. And some of them said, could he, could he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And again, that's what the, that's the next time. Jesus, once more deeply moved, mm-hmm. comes to the tomb. Yeah, he sees people's grief. He sees their doubt. And it, 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 he responds to it. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not something that he's indifferent to. He's deeply moved there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I noticed my observation was that um, the sisters say the same thing to him, mm-hmm. but he responds differently to each of them. And, you, you know, you would, you would expect, you know, all right, sometimes when people, like, ask the same question, you know, you, they, they, you get used to answering it a certain way. It's like, oh, I kind of figured out the right way to help someone, you know, you know, respond to this. And so they, you know, Martha comes up and he says, well, let me give you a theology lesson, essentially. You know, this is who I am and what, you, what do you believe? 
But then Martha, uh, Mary comes up and says the exact same thing. You know, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And he responds by going with her and, weep, and weeping at the tomb. Mm. And so there's like something about him knowing the insight for each of those people what they each need is going to be different. And so he engages them, even though they ask the same question. Another observation I have is when they're, when they're at the tomb, uh, two details here. One, I don't know why it jumps out to me, but here you have Jesus in front of a tomb with a stone blocking the tomb, right? So obviously it throws your attention to when Jesus himself is in a tomb and the stone has to be rolled away for him to come out. But second, I, I think it's funny when when Jesus shows up, both of the sisters say, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. So there's something in her head that thinks that the proximity of Jesus means that he could have done the stuff he does. But now they think it's too late, obviously. So they don't they don't think he can do everything. They think he maybe could have kept him from dying, but certainly not raise him from the dead. But then I just find it humorous that she said, don't roll that stone back. The the brother's been in there for four (laughs) days. It's going to unleash some stench. Well, it it emphasizes the truly deadness, right? Like there are enough details in there that as you read it, you're supposed to not not doubt this is genuine dead body. Like there's no doubt about it. He he would not be coming back. There's not, there's no, he's not, he didn't faint, you know? Well, and isn't it interesting that like Lazarus was in the tomb for four days and yet he was raised to life. And then, like, the disciples had to remember that. Well, like, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And so, like, when Jesus is in that situation and he raises from the dead after three days, it's like, you know, well, he he could do it. Like, I wonder, I wonder if some of the disciples were like, I wonder if he's going to do the same thing he did with Lazarus. Do you think he'll do the same thing? prime them a little bit? Yeah. Hmm. You know what I mean? It It certainly had to be something that they connected the dots later. Like, obviously, when John is writing this... He's he's positioning it in a way that everybody who's reading is thinking about Jesus's tomb mm-hmm. when they're looking at Lazarus's tomb. So we're supposed to make that that connection and say, okay, hey, we should be able to anticipate this. I even think of it though in in the more not the positive hopeful light, but in some of the sad um, parts of this. When Jesus gets troubled, when he is sorrowful, um, I I think some of that is his empathy for for the sisters and his love for Lazarus and just yeah. the tragedy yep. of death. No matter what he's going to do, it's still a tragedy. Yep. But I think there may be an element of him saying, "I actually know that the reason I can free this man from death is because I'm going to go to death. Mm-hmm. Like the reason that this is a this can be a victory for these people is because it'll be a defeat for me later. And there's there's something about him anticipating the cost it's going to be for him." Mm-hmm. To be the resurrection and the life, he's going to have to go through something that's going to, to break him. And so I, there, I think there may be a, a subtext of that going on, too, in his sorrow. Mm-hmm. A truth about God that I see in verse 25, where Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I One of the things that I underlined is the the prayer when Jesus looks up and says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit mm-hmm. of the people standing here, <laughs> that they may believe that you sent me. It's almost like that prayer with one eye open. Like, <laughs> It's like you've ever been in church and you're like, I think the preachers is preaching their, their final point. At like, like, I don't think they're talking to God. I think they're talking to us. Yes. <laughs> Apparently, Jesus actually did that. <laughs> oh, man. When I was in college... The pastor of the church I attended, I was a youth group leader, and we would all sit in like the second the second pew. 
And the pastor every week would re-preach his sermon in the closing prayer. And it was painful. And it would go – like we would, we would – it got to the point where we'd all start our stopwatches to see how long – I mean 10, 12 minutes oh, gosh. Of, of final prayer preaching the sermon. So are we accusing Jesus right now of – Preach, I, preaching a sermon during a prayer is that what's going I, on i think maybe it's a little side eye like yeah. i feel like it's like some a little almost a little shade like jesus is like i i know you always hear me but i'm saying this for the, the people standing these here. folks don't realize that you answer my prayers like they keep saying well i don't know if you can do it we know it is it is interesting you know Jesus is letting us in on a little window of what the the interaction between him and and the Father is like, and and even though he's explaining it, like that's obviously not how he always talks to the Father, but there is there is something revealing about saying, no, the Father always hears the Son, the Father always has his ears mm-hmm. open, like there, the, that little window into what the life of God is like is always giving, receiving, opening to each other. There, there's a there's a beautiful mystery that's kind of just cracked open just a little bit in that one. All right, let's go on to one of the M's in comma. And we're, we're going to start with meditation. Meditation is when we per- prayerfully ponder the, the passage of Scripture and we say, God, what do you have to say to us in this? And I find that with stories, with narrative parts of Scripture, one of the best ways to meditate is to actually try to imagine yourself in part of the scene, to say, what would it be like to be there? What would the, you know, what would I see? What would I hear? What would I feel if I were in that, that situation? I'm not going to dictate which part of this story you should do that with, but I want to give you about 45 seconds and pick a section, a moment in this narrative. Maybe it's one of the conversations with the sister. Maybe it's right there at the tomb. Maybe it's when Jesus is weeping. Maybe it's some part that struck you in some other way. But I want you to take a little bit to kind of dwell in that moment and say, what would it feel like to be there? What's the emotions? What are the sights? What are the sounds to be in this moment with Jesus? Let's talk about the other M in comma, which is message. This is where we take something that we have observed, and we take a principle from that that we can apply to our lives. So uh, how would you sum up a message from this passage? Uh, My message is hearing and seeing can lead to believing. Man, mine is so close to Nikki. So I imagined the moment where Jesus says in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out, and you're standing there observing what is about to happen and Lazarus walks out. How many times do you have to see Jesus do something like that before you know he can do something like that? Mm-hmm. I think the answer is once, <laughs> but, I'm not, but I'm not 100% sure because people saw so. Jesus do signs and they were still trying to figure out what does this mean about who he is and what he can do and what he can't do and where he came from and, and his mission, all that. Uh, but my my message is... It only takes once to trust Jesus. Hmm. 
Uh, and I, I'll, I won't even go. I was about to roll into my application. I'm not going to roll into my application. It only takes once to trust Jesus. I think, you know, as I read that, like the message to me is in the statement of who Jesus is, that he is the resurrection and the life. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, ultimately he said it. I don't have a, I don't have the, you know, the stitching on a pillow. It's going to say <laughs> I'm the resurrection and the life. And you know, is that something that I'm letting sink in to know how deep that is? That's a that's a huge statement. That's yeah. That's, that's that should not be put on a pillow. No, it's too big for a pillow. <laughs> no, too big no. for a pillow. Somebody probably put it on a wall. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it's on something. Um, it's you know, th- this is just a, a note to those of you who listen. Sometimes when you're reading through a passage and you say, "I think the message I have is basically just." a good line from the passage, you know, something that summed it up well, that's absolutely okay. In fact, sometimes what that's what um, the authors of Scripture and Jesus mm-hmm. himself were doing, is trying to give you a one-line principle that is a good message. So um, totally legit. Um, here's my message. Uh, it's Jesus refuses to give us a solution without empathy and refuses to give us empathy without a solution. So there's, there's the two sisters here, and you've got with Martha, he says, hey, I'm going to raise your brother. And then with Mary, he says, well, he doesn't say anything. He just weeps with her. And there are times when uh, what we, like when there's a problem, uh, what we uh, look for, someone who really understands. But sometimes that can mean they can't do anything to help you. And sometimes we're looking for a solution, but it's cold. It's, you know, it's distant. And what we really need is someone who gets the, how hard this is for us. And Jesus refuses to, to only do one. He's going to give us empathy and he's going to give us a solution. All right, let's talk about application. Okay, what do you do in response to these messages? I want Clayton to stitch his message on a pillow. (laughs) (laughs) That's a big pillow. That's like a dog pillow or a body pillow. It's a king-size pillow. Yep. Um, All right, so my message was hearing and seeing can lead to believing. So my application is uh, who in my life needs to know and see what Jesus has done in my life. Um, or even, I'm, I'm even thinking like this Christmas season, like we're talking about coming to Christmas Eve services, right? So like getting super practical, what is the, one of the most easiest ways for people to hear, um, what Jesus has done, but then to invite them to a Christmas Eve service where we're literally talking about why Jesus came and lived and died, you know, and was raised again. And so Maybe it's just inviting people to Christmas Eve services again uh, so that they might hear and see and come to believe in Jesus this Christmas season. Mm -hmm. I would say mine actually matches up with that a lot with the whole the idea of Jesus being the resurrection and the life. Am I uh, am I deeply moved by people not knowing that truth? Is that am I moved to action? Do I invite people? Do I take the time to tell people how important that is. This is life and death. And am I deeply moved by the people who don't know that, who would be crying, who would be weeping over death? That's around us all the time. And am I deeply moved to a place that I would take action to invite them, tell them this truth, help them to know what that means? All right, we're going to see how this goes. This one, this one might wander for a moment. We'll, we'll see. Lazarus is sick. They send word to Jesus. Jesus comes. Lazarus is already dead. He raises him from the dead. If Jesus did not come and raise Lazarus from the dead, 
does that mean that Jesus is not the son of God who can raise people from the dead? The answer is no, right? Mm -hmm. Like he didn't have to prove that he could do it to be who he is. Right. Yet he did it. I told you this was going to wander, Courtney. I told you this was going to wander. <laughs> this is wandering more than a first grader right now. Since this story happened, millions and millions of people have died. And millions and millions of people have wondered, why didn't God do something about that? Why did God let my... Okay, but I'm back to my message now. But it only takes Jesus doing it once to prove he can do it. It only takes Jesus one time for you to be able to trust him, that he can, not that he will, because now you're into the conversation about what God does and what he doesn't do and how he chooses and how he governs the whole universe. Yeah. But it only takes Jesus one time for us to trust him. And so my application is maybe to take some time and look back over your life and remind yourself of the times that God has intersected your life and done stuff that only God could do or that you've witnessed in other people's lives to refresh your trust in the fact that we have a God who can. So my message was that Jesus refuses to give us a solution without empathy or empathy without a solution. And um, I, I think this is both uh, impacts how we relate to, to Jesus, okay? Because sometimes we come to Jesus and we, you know, we're, we're just looking for a solution, you know what I mean? And sometimes the best thing he can do for us is to simply say, I'm here, I understand, I'm with you. Uh, sometimes uh, we want to come to Jesus and just have the, the empathy, the sympathy, the compassion. But when the solution comes along, it's when we say... I'm not sure I'm ready for that. Like the actual, the actual like outworking of what it's going to take to address your situation might actually be challenging or uncomfortable or stretch you or whatever. And so sometimes there's a saying, I'm, I want both of these. I'm coming to Jesus because he can do something and I'm coming to him because he, he understands that I need both of those. There's also an implication in how we relate to other people uh, because sometimes there are some of us who err on one side or the other. Some of us are fixers. We come in and we simply say, all right, what can we do about this? And there's something good about that, but it really doesn't work because we don't show the empathy and compassion. Some of us are empathetic people and we will sit with someone and go round and round and round and round, feeling the same, you know, sorrow and whatever for them, which is good, but we'll never help that person move to the next thing or find a solution or, or take steps forward. Both of those things are what the love of Jesus looks like, and it's how we love other people well. That's really good. Mm-hmm. Well, Courtney, thank you for joining us for this episode. It was a pleasure having you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Friends, that's all that we have for you this week. Join us next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan. In the meantime, if you're not following along, check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and to start reading. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week.